Welcome to Business Law and More, the podcast that's all about the journey, not just the destination. My name is Rena. I'm a lawyer, business owner, and managing partner of Cosbond. This podcast is for creative entrepreneurs where we discuss business insights, legal hurdles, and more to help you build a business and life that you love. Thanks for spending time with me today. Turn up the volume and let's begin. Today, we're talking about all things commercial property. And in particular, we're going to be talking about leases and landlords and what things that they would want to see in a lease. I'm joined today by Lena Thakra, who is a commercial property partner at Cosbond. She's got a wealth of knowledge and she's going to be sharing this with us today. Welcome to the show, Lena. Hi, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, one of many. We're going to be doing lots of podcasts, Lena. Are you ready for this? Okay, (laughs) so let's crack on with this. So today we're talking about landlords and leases. And this is always such a hot topic. It was a hot topic pre-COVID. It's still a hot topic right now with interest rates rising and and all sorts and Amazon taking over and things. And you're a specialist in commercial property and particularly in leases and working with landlords. So I wanted to explore with you today a few things. So if we're focusing and working predominantly with landlords and you are preparing a lease for landlords, what sort of things, so if we went through six things possibly that a landlord would want to see in a lease? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, the lease is going to be based on the heads of terms, which is the commercial agreement that the parties have agreed. You'd want to see overarching clarity in the drafting. And I think a good example of that is perhaps a break clause. So if a break clause has been agreed, then from the landlord point of view, you'd want to see clear and concise drafting in relation to the conditions, for example. So does the tenant have to pay the annual rent, the service charge, the insurance, et cetera, up to date in order for that break to be valid? We'd want to see vacant possession, no subsisting leases or occupiers and things like that. Have the parties agreed that a premium will be payable for the break to be valid? So you just want to make sure all of those things are clearly drafted for that break to be affected and the landlord isn't then effectively left a little bit shortchanged where because of woolly drafting, the tenant's able to exercise the break and the landlord hasn't got the deal that he was expecting, really. That's really interesting. But aren't all leases the same or are they drafted slightly differently? Absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, I would say every lease is a bespoke document catered to the commercial agreement that's been reti- agreed between those particular parties. And we do take kind of great care and attention when drafting these leases to make sure that there is that balance between the commercial agreements been reached between parties. And if you're acting for the landlord, then, you know, that their interests are protected as best as we possibly can. Okay, interesting. I thought they were all the same, but that's my naivety as a corporate lawyer. So that was interesting. What Are there any other points that maybe a landlord would look out for? So yes, if, for example, the parties agree that the lease will be outside of the act, that mm. the landlord won't have the ability to a new lease at the end of the term, you'd want to see obviously specific provision in the lease setting out that the lease is outside of the act when the statutory declaration in relation to this was sworn and the date, etc., and before you complete the lease, from the landlord's point of view, you'd want to see a copy of that sworn stat debt to make sure it's been validly excluded and things like that so we don't get into any messy situations further down the line. So just to touch on that, Lena, if the lease is outside the Act, then that basically means that the landlord doesn't have to renew at the end can take the lease back. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. They're entitled to the lease back at the end of the term, but equally... If the parties wanted to enter into a new lease at the end of that term, then there's nothing preventing the landlord from doing that. But it builds in that flexibility for the landlord. If they're looking to sell it on, potentially, they want to occupy it themselves, 
they want vacant possession. It just gives them that flexibility if it's outside of the act. Lena, I think we need to get you back on the show just to do an episode on the Landlords and Tenants Act. You know what? It's a very interesting topic and so many pitfalls and things like that we can explore in a bit more detail if we do that. Sure. Brilliant. Okay. So that was two points. Clarity in the drafting and then the lease being outside the act. Moving on, I think if the lease is of part of a building rather than the entire building or someone's taking a floor or a unit in the parade of shops, then from a landlord point of view, you've got to think about service charge. Is there a yard? Are there common areas? Is there shared parking? The tenant will want to see that the landlord kind of maintains these areas and potholes and things like that are repaired and tarmac's looking nice and shiny. But equally, the landlord will want to be fully protected and ensuring that they get paid for that. Heads of charge are properly set out and defined and the landlord will provide that service, but it's a service charge as well. So the tenant's got to reimburse the landlord and the landlord will want kind of protective provisions in there as well so that they're not held responsible for any failure in its inability to provide those services for reasons that are outside of its control. Linked to that as well, the landlord no doubt will insure the building, but equally we want to see the obligation on the tenant to reimburse the landlord for that service. So would the landlord always insure the lease? Generally, yes, in commercial leases, because these are terms of 5, 10, 15, 20 years. You've got to see it as that ultimate vested interest is the landlord's they have got the value in that property. So they would want to retain the control of that in maintaining the insurance so they can make sure it's got the risks and things like that that they want covered. And in the event of there having to be a claim being made, that they'd want to be in control of that, which is why generally it's the landlord that insures. And I suppose they can decide what sort of level of cover and which reputable insurer to insure with as, as well. Absolutely. And if you've got landlords that have got portfolios of properties and they may be taking up block policies as well, which just may be more cost-effective for them. In those situations, they effectively sometimes self-insure some properties just dependent on the policies in place. That's and, definitely another good cost as well. It, yeah, and, and I was <laughs> going to say, if the insurance is also claimed, then those monies would go to the landlord who then a tenant would want provisions in there to talk about how those insurance money they're going to be used to then deal with the repair. Yep, but they'd also be drafting in there that if the property was so badly damaged, then it would be the landlord call as to whether it wants to repair, reinstate and put the tenant back in there or terminate the lease and then take its time, rebuild, redevelop or or do something else with the property. Okay, wow. So going back to my first point about whether leases are all drafted the same, I think I've answered my question. (laughs) So, I'm just passionate about leases, I think. Yeah, I could tell. So point number three was about service charges and four was insurance, which landlord would want to see in a landlord's favour. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Have you got any other points or any other tips for landlords? I think we'd want to see a clear obligation relating to utilities and outgoings, especially I mean, at the moment with the continuing increase in cost of electricity and gas and things like that. The tenant ultimately is occupying that property. So they should be responsible for paying those outgoings and sort of utility charges, etc. So we want to just see clear drafting in relation to that so the landlord doesn't get stung in relation to that. And what about things like uh, rent reviews? Mm. Would a landlord, presumably a landlord, would want to see something in there because depending on which way the market's going, and presumably it would only be an upward only rent review. Yep, absolutely. But there are so many different types of rent reviews. But I think you're absolutely right, Rena, that we want to see rent reviews in there from the landlord point of view. That the more frequent they are, the better, because they would be upwards only, worst case scenario, nil increase. The only way is up with rent reviews, in all honesty. But there's different types of rent reviews as well. So you've got to see 
what suits the landlord, what suits its portfolio and things like that. Is an open market rent review better where the property is compared to other comparables in the area? But that would be dependent, to be honest, on the type of property, the use. Can it be compared to other properties? Is it situated in the middle of nowhere? In that situation, perhaps an RPI-linked rent review may be better, but definitely another podcast of RPI will be abolished in 2030. So that will have an effect on considering whether that is an appropriate rent review in leases that are for longer terms as well. Definitely a different podcast than yes. this as well. Uh, I think we're going to get a lot of spin-off podcasts from yeah. this one, actually, so watch this space. Uh, I think there's one more that we... One for luck, for sure. Yeah. One for luck. I think it's when you're a big provision in leases is assignments. And from the landlord's point of view, you have assessed the tenant and its covenant strength and its ability to pay the rent. But what if Mr. Tenant wants to assign its lease and walk away, which... It's fine from the landlord point of view, provided you've got enough protection in there. So you've got to make sure that's built into your lease. Make sure there's ARGA provisions in there. The ability to require a rent deposit from an assignee if you're a little bit unsure about its covenant stress, coupled with potentially personal guarantees if it's an incoming uh, company that's potentially an SPV, then you definitely want both the rent deposit deed with the personal guarantee. That's really interesting. So I've actually counted. Now, my maths isn't that good, hence why I'm a lawyer. But I think I've counted. <laughs> got calculators at times. <laughs> I've counted number five as obligations on outgoings. Number six is rent review provisions. And then number seven, protection on assignments. So even yeah. though we said six, I think we can still carry on for a lot more, actually. I think yeah, we need to talk 20 more. next time for sure. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. But that's been really helpful. And I hope that the listeners have found this really helpful as well. There's lots of nuggets of information there. And we will be doing more podcasts about tenants and what they'll be looking for mm-hmm. in these because that would be very different to what our landlords So on that note, Lena, can I thank you for joining us today and look forward to doing some more podcasts with you. Thanks for having me, Rina. Thanks for listening to Business Law and More, a Cosbond podcast. Before we go, if you enjoyed the podcast, please follow and subscribe to the show, share the podcast or tell a friend about it, leave us a review and stay tuned for more next week.